Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less-known information about their lives in order to show the world that no one is perfect, we're all human, and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. This is Cliff with Humanizing History. And this is Nick Downey. I'd like to give a big shout out to Big Miss Steak, a Buffy podcast, for the intro. So go ahead and give a listen to Big Miss Steak, a Buffy podcast. Did you ever watch Buffy? Uh, no, not really. It was before my time, I felt like. Cause, what was that? Like, was late early 90s? 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, early, late 90s. So I was 0 to 10. Yeah, but you watched X Files. I watched X Files much later. Gotcha. Okay. I haven't. I I started watching X Files three, four years ago. Oh, so you started watching it right before I did? Because I never watched it as a kid either. No, I mean it probably would have freaked me out as a kid. Absolutely. E. T. freaked me out as a kid. So (laughs) let's be honest. X Files would have sent me to a different level. But I love X Files. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten into that. You know, we both listen to the uh, Mysterious Universe podcast, yeah. and ever since you got me into that podcast, I, I'm totally into all of the crazy paranormal stuff. So, I love it, too. I find it so fascinating. I yeah. think a lot of it's just BS. Oh, yeah. But I love the stories. Fairies are hilarious. Gnomes. The whole Bigfoot thing. Like, I, I love to picture Bigfoot as just nine foot tall, just dope. Just hurt-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know? <laughs> Right. my I like the ones that have anything to do with time, like time lapses, or not time lapses, but like time jumps or missing time or anything where there's time involved. Gotcha. I think that's cool. Yeah. So, first of all, I would like to say last time our mic levels were a little off. Mm-hmm. I think this time we got it tweaked in a little bit better. Right. So. I, I think we're still in that learning curve, so we appreciate your guys' support and Growing with us. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, what, a month and a half old now. It feels so much longer, but yeah, you're right. We are only a month <laughs> and a half old. I think it feels it feels like a long time because we recorded Henry Ford ages ago. And then COVID hit, or around it was around the time of COVID. I had, a, you know, having a kid, that made it hard. And then we finally got into it, so. I think we're going to have to come back and revisit Ford. I think so too. Cuz there's a lot we didn't cover. I think a lot of these in may, you know, if we're, if we're still doing this in a few years, I'd love to do revisited. I think so too. Yeah. So this is going to be Teddy Roosevelt part 2, part 2, where we're going to dive into him a little bit more. We're going to finish up on his presidency and then we're going to go into what I like to think of as the more fun stuff and a little bit more of the darker stuff. Yeah. That you may not be aware of with Teddy Roosevelt. But before we do that, Nick, is there a way that people can get in touch with us? Of course. Any sort of social media that you can think of, we are probably on it. Facebook, Instagram, Reddit. The Twitters? The, the Twitters. Okay. We, we tweetify every once in a while. <laughs> so yeah, check us out. And you know we're still in the works of a website, so hopefully that'll be up and running at some point. We'll keep you guys posted. We've been running into a few issues, but once again, growing pains. And then also, remember, you can hit us up on Anchor and do a little intro if you want to be like 
mistake. What was it again? Big mistake. Big mistake. Uh, if you want to be like them and and do our intro, check get us a out shout there out. Too. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, without further dudes, let's jump <laughs> back in <laughs> to Teddy Roosevelt. Now, when we left off before, we had talked about him becoming president, well, vice president, and then president six months later. Right. And we ended on him establishing his national forests, the bird reserves, the game preserves, the national parks, monuments, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But what we didn't touch on is the Panama Canal. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realize he was part of that. He was a huge part of that. Okay. So the Panama Canal was a plan before Roosevelt to put that canal in there. They didn't know how to put a canal in there mm-hmm. because you got to make sure the level is completely even. Right. So it's so much higher than the ocean, they'd have to dig down super low. So there was a bunch of companies that tried it and just kept failing. So Roosevelt pushed the U.S. really hard to buy the French assets in this canal zone, which okay. is where they're going to build it, which would cost roughly $40 million. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, which is like $121 million today. Okay. We gathered those assets... And there was a proposed treaty over the rights to build in that area, which at that time was Colombian territory. Okay. So not Panama. Okay. Was so was it Pan? Was it still the country of Panama that was controlled by Colombia? I don't okay. believe so. I believe it was just Colombia gotcha. owned this part of okay. the South America. Okay. So we had a treaty with them, but that ended up being rejected. So America decided, in order to get what they wanted to put their military might behind this Panama movement okay, and help them overthrow the Colombians <laughs> in that area, which we have just been so great at. Oh, yeah. we It's interesting how we get involved when we want something. Yeah. Isn't that but, weird? But we do it in the name of freedom. Cough, Bay of Pigs. Cough, <laughs> cough. So after the Colombian military was defeated, shocking. Oh, yeah. America was able to negotiate a deal with the new government. Of course. put in power. (laughs) Was able to negotiate a deal. I'm pretty sure that deal was signed, sealed, and delivered way before we got involved. No way. (laughs) So then on November 6th, 1903, the United States recognized the Republic of Panama. Okay. And on November 18th, the Hay-Banau-Baria Treaty was signed with Panama, granting the U.S. exclusive and permanent possession of the Panama Canal Zone. So we still own the Panama Canal today? No. Okay. In exchange for that, Panama received $10 million in 1903, which is okay. a lot of money, yeah. and an annuity of $250,000 beginning nine years later. Okay. The canal was not finished until 1914 okay. when we started using it. Okay. And it's, I think they call it a, a break canal, which is where there's different areas, like 150 feet long, where it'll bring a ship in pump water in to lift it up to move it to the next area so they move it over the country essentially right it's watching videos on the panama canal it is it is a feat of brilliance of how they can get these massive ships through this and it really is basically you're 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 in a in a zone they pump in water into the next one and you go in and you go in and it's it's incredible that it works it's incredible what really baffles me is that they were able to do it back then i mean the feats that we've made in technology from then until now 
I could see us doing it now, but it's crazy that we were able to do it back then. Absolutely. And it was the smartest thing to do back then, mm-hmm. because otherwise they would have had to dig the country down mm-hmm. to sea level. Right. Which would just destroy so much. It right. Would, you know, dozens of feet, an entire country. There's mm-hmm. just no way. So it was President Jimmy Carter in 1977 that signed the Panama Canal Treaty with Panama in order to give it back to them. Gotcha. However, it didn't take effect until the year 2000. Wow. So, yes. And I don't think they actually got it back until 2001, to be honest. Okay. Sounds like a Jimmy Carter thing to do. Yeah, give something away that's not yours. (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt, being, you know, the cowboy rancher that he was, Mm -hmm. he always had a thing about having good beef, right? So the food safety... So food safety wasn't exactly a paramount concern for lawmakers in the early parts of the 1900s. Like, an example of this was the U.S. government once solicited volunteers to ingest formaldehyde just to <laughs> see if there were side effects. Really? And if there weren't, they were going to put it in food. Why? As a preservative, I assume. Oh, gosh. So. Can you imagine getting your burger and smelling that? No, because there's formaldehyde-treated wood mm-hmm. that's supposed to seal it, and it smells terrible, and it smells that way forever. I, I, I've been in a room that was built yeah. with formaldehyde uh, press board. Yeah. It, I almost passed out. It was disgusting. So uh, during my graduate work for my MBA program, our business building also shared space with the nursing's cadavers. Oh, no. <laughs> and so you'd be in a accounting class or a finance class, and you would just get whiffs of formaldehyde. <sighs> From all of the uh, the cadavers that they had at the school. Oh, gosh. That smell is awful. Yeah. I will pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Luckily, I passed. <laughs> Roosevelt, being the rancher that he was, wanted to make sure we had good meat mm-hmm. and that our beef products were safe to consume. So he sent investigators out to meatpacking plants, and they came back with just absolute horror stories of dirty preparation areas, putrid meat being sit, just sitting on the same counter with meat that's being cut fresh. Mm-hmm. Absolutely disgusting conditions. Have you ever read, we had to read it in, in school, but have you ever read The Jungle? I don't think so. So it was about the meat packing industry. Okay. And I don't know if it was the 18 or the 1900s, and it's awful. Like, I mean, people would lose, like, limbs and fingers and stuff. In the grinders, it would just go. Yeah. So you or rats or whatever, like whatever just got in those meat packers. So eating meat back in the you know 1800s, 1900s, whenever that time was, was not you were not getting only beef. It's it's a toss up if you're becoming a cannibal or not. Right. Right. So I know even nowadays there's like acceptable levels of things. Like oh yeah. Insect parts. Mm-hmm. You know. In chocolate. Oh, yeah. Like, I just, ugh, I know it's impossible for it not to happen, but it still just weirds me out. <laughs> I want to eat the same it's thing disgusting. that my lizard does. Right. <laughs> so despite intense objection from the meat industry, Roosevelt signed into law the Pure Food and Drug Act and Meat Inspection Act into law in 1906. Later on in 1906, Teddy Roosevelt won the Nobel Peace Prize for his role in mediating the Treaty of Portsmouth which ended the Russo-Japanese War. Roosevelt was the first American to win the award, and he used the prize money to fund a trust to promote industrial peace. 
Interesting. It's interesting how presidents can win awards for negotiating peace between countries that aren't the U.S. Like, for instance, not many people know this, Trump was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for what he, how he helped with uh, somewhere in the Middle East. But yeah, he's he's nominated right now for a Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Yeah. I love Peace Prizes. We have the best Peace Prizes. If anybody knows Nobel Prizes, it's me. I, no, I had no idea he was nominated. Yeah. Huh. Oh, well, it's because... Okay, this is... My bias might come out a little bit. It's because the media doesn't want us to know that he did something good. You have fake news. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't care what side you're on. If our president's nominated for something like that, you should say, hey... Right. Huh. right. I mean, when when Obama won, Obama yeah. won a, an award... It's, I'm going to be just as happy for him because he's an American. He is represented the United States of America. Yeah. And he's our president. He was my president at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it or not. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a huge animal lover, and this is what I found fascinating about Teddy Roosevelt. While he was in the White House, the Roosevelt's children's family of pets included a small bear named <laughs> oh. John Edwards. Okay. A lizard named Bill. Guinea pigs named Admiral Dewey, Dr. Johnson, Bishop Doan, Fighting Bob Evans, and Father O'Grady. <laughs> Maud the Pig, Josiah the Badger, Eli Yale the Blue Macaw, Baron Speckle the Hen, a one-legged rooster, a hyena, a barn owl, Peter the Rabbit, Algonquin the Pony... And Emily Spinach, a garter snake. President Roosevelt. Let's first back up real quick. A hyena? A hyena. So I think I think people don't think hyenas are as massive as they are. They're huge. Like, the Lion King does not do them justice. They don't look like these little tiny things. They're almost as big as a lion. Yeah. They're huge. And he's just like, yeah, this is my pet. How do you domesticate one of those things? Those are vicious animals. So I know there's tribes in Africa that use them for hunting. Really? So, I, I mean, there's ways that. to... I mean, just about anything. Mm-hmm. Dogs at one time weren't dogs. They were, you know, wolves. Right, but that took thousands of years to domesticate. Hyenas have been here thousands of years, too. I mean... That's that's incredible. But, yeah, we went to the Denver Zoo last year... Two years ago? Last year? Something like that. But they're massive... They, their barks or whatever, or their sounds, they actually do sound like a laugh. It's, yeah. it's eerie, Creepy. but yeah, they're, they're crazy animals. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're just so giant. I can't imagine having a pet that big. Like, I have big dogs, but right. that just seems huge. President Roosevelt loved these animals just as much or more than his kids. Okay. So this wasn't just like, oh, darn it, my kid brought home another pet. It's like, ah, oh, sweet, we got another animal. Right. There was one time that his son, Quentin, stopped at a pet store on his way home and bought four snakes. He then came into the office to show his dad, in the Oval Office, Mm -hmm. when he was having a meeting. That's (laughs) awesome. broke in there with a bunch of snakes in his hand. (laughs) You've got your whole cabinet in there and your son's just twirling around some snakes. Yeah, like no big deal. Like it's a Tuesday afternoon. Ah. (laughs) Senators and party officials smiled and like acted tolerant about it. Mm -hmm. When he came in and hugged his dad, he's like, Dad, look, I got these snakes. But then he dropped them on the table and some of them fell on the floor. And all the officials scrambled. They all ran away. They were all afraid of them. (laughs) 
So the snakes were eventually captured, and Teddy said that was too many, so he brought them back to the shop. You know what's interesting is it just kind of shows how kids, they don't give a rip who you are. Oh, no. You know, Dad's the President of the United States. Who cares? He's Dad. I'm just going to go say hi to him and bring my snakes. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. So that was just their pets. This is their dogs. They had Sailor Boy the Chesapeake Retriever, Jack the Terrier, Skip the Mongrel, and Pete a bull terrier who sank his teeth into tons of people's legs. He bit so many people at the White House, they had to exile the dog to their home in Long Island. Holy cow. <laughs> Most people, that would they, their dog would be put down. Yeah, well, not, not Teddy's. No. <laughs> and then Alice had a small black Pekingese, which she received from the last Empress of China. Wow. Yeah, during a trip over there. That's cool. Absolutely. So it's just weird. Like, I know people end up adopting animals that their kids bring home. Mm -hmm. That just seems so excessive. Right. But then I think back to when I was a kid, and we found a pigeon, like a pigeon. Really? That had somebody, like, shot a BB, you Mm -hmm. know, in its wing. And we took it home, and my mom and us nursed it back to health. Yeah. A pigeon. Right. Like, now I wouldn't look twice at it, but... Same thing. We we found some skull skull cutted tortoises. My mom's like, bring them home. Like, I watered our our lawn one day, and a bunch of lizards came out of the crack. And I'm like, oh cool. So I just ended up watering it. I got like a hundred of them. My mom's like, cool. Let's go get an aquarium. We threw them in the aquarium. Went PetSmart and fed them crickets. And like, I kept just stupid house geckos. That's crazy. Like every cat that we found. Bring it in. <laughs> every dog we found. Like yeah, there's room. Come on. Did you guys keep them or did you guys? Yeah. Use- Okay. So the only ones we didn't keep were the tortoises okay. that our neighbors apparently went knocking on everyone's door. Hey, have you seen turtles? Because they had thousands of them. Oh, wow. And their babies got out, so they were collecting them. Gotcha. But everything else, yeah, we kept until it was either healthy enough to let go, like the pigeon, or mm-hmm. we just kept it till it died. Yeah. So we have our cat now. We found him. He had to have been, you know, four or five weeks old. He was super, super tiny in the alley behind my in-laws now house and we were going to get rid of it but the pound wouldn't take it because it was under two pounds or under four they they don't take cats under a certain weight apparently in in maricopa county and so (laughs) they're like yeah i just keep it until it's that weight." well of course you know if you're gonna keep it and we ended up keeping it and now he is a fat mother trucker (laughs) and uh ruins my life i'm just kidding (laughs) i love oliver but cats (laughs) Dude, okay, so he's learned how to open doors. And today he learned how to open the cabinet door that has his food in it. So, so now he's getting even fatter. Oh, he's already fat. Like, he's obese. Oh, I've seen him. Yeah. yeah just... He's also just a huge cat. Like, yeah. if you took away his belly, he was he's just a long cat. But so, I digress. So we talked about Teddy Roosevelt being a little bit of a boxer when he was in college, yeah. right? Well, that was part of his exercising routine, was boxing. But... A lot of people don't know that he never gave up boxing as a sport. Really? Okay. So he sparred with people all the time. Who he sparred with was kind of weird. Okay. So now starting when he was governor of New York, he would bring a professional boxer into work with him to work out and to spar with him throughout the day, you know, here and there when they had time. And he even attempted to have a wrestling mat purchased by the state. Oh, that's awesome. To put in his office, which was turned down by the state comptroller, which I think was for the best. Probably. Because that's... Not something that American people should pay for. Right. But so he continued boxing and wrestling to anybody that was willing. Okay. So if somebody would come in his office for a meeting, he'd be like, bully, yeah, let's have business. 
do you want to duke it out a little bit? It's great exercise. <laughs> and he would still do this up to and including his presidency. Really? So now you're coming in the White House. So he would he would And he'd throw down people? with you if you would. Okay. Most people wouldn't. Did he ask or would the person have to ask? No, him? no, no. He'd ask. Okay. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I love like playing cards. You'd come sit down and they, oh, you want to play a game of poker? It'd be like, hey, you want to throw down? You feel like getting yeah. punched you a few spar? times? That's yeah. crazy. Most of his opponents were typically like young military aides. Okay. That when he asked them to spar, they kind of felt they had to. Okay. Because this is your commander in chief right. saying, hey, I want to box with right. you. Does it say if they pulled punches at all? No. No, he did, and he, he wouldn't let him. He's like, you're fighting me. We're boxing. Wow. <laughs> so this pastime, however, ended when Teddy squared up to an artillery captain that ended up hitting him so hard, it caused severe hemorrhaging in his eye, resulting in a detached retina, and eventually he became blind in his left no eye. No way. Yes. How old was he at the time, did it say? He was, it was when he was in the White House. Okay. So he was still a young man. I mean, right. because he went in at what, 42? Yeah, he was fairly, fairly young. So it was yeah. before he was 50. Okay. But in true form, he was quoted as saying, fortunately it was my left eye, but the sight has been dim ever since. And if it had been the right eye, I should have been entirely unable to shoot. Accordingly, I thought it better to acknowledge that I had become an elderly man and would have to stop boxing. I then took up jujitsu. For a few years. <laughs> so he gave up boxing to take up jujitsu. Well, it's not as but, in, it's not high impact, but it's still. Yeah, it's, it's still crazy. But uh, in order to keep the artillery captain safe, he never mentioned his name, ever. That's good. So I think that was a smart thing. Right. Because it wasn't, it wasn't the artillery captain's fault. Of course not. They were just boxing. Well, and he felt obligated. Your boss tells you to do something, you're going to do it. And again... He expected you to go give your 100%. Right. Well, he gave it. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to Teddy Roosevelt and Safari. Now, this is where a lot of people see Teddy Roosevelt. You know, mm-hmm. he's got that tan safari cap on and the khakis and everything. He looks like... The outdoorsman kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when he left the White House, he went on safari. He wanted to get back into what he was doing before, where he's providing animals, specimens to the Smithsonian. So financed by Andrew Carnegie and by his own sales from his writings, he took a trip to Africa and Europe to go on safari. Mm -hmm. Now during this trip, Teddy and his group stalked, tracked, caught, killed, and collected over 11,000 insects and animals. Wow. Approximately 1,000 of those being large game. Okay. Including 17 lions, 11 elephants... 20 rhinoceros. Actually, one of them was even charging at him. Wow. So he, you know, tried to be a good hunter and he's stealth and getting around things. Well, he ended up coming out of concealment and the rhino spotted him. Turned around and just started hoofing at him. Rhinos are fast. Yeah, they are. And they're powerful. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So he just started shooting at it. He shot it a few times, put it down before it got to him. You know what's interesting is Back then, that was a hundred. What he did was a hundred percent acceptable. If anybody were to do that now, or you know, have write about their trip and it was hunting in Africa, oh my gosh, it would be front headline news about how horrible this person is. You remember the dentist that shot the lion? Oh yeah. The issue is that some of these rhinos that he shot were like endangered white rhinos. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know if they were endangered then, but they're sure endangered now. Right, right. And, you know, shooting them wasn't helping. Right, right. So there was also one time that he killed a cougar 
with a knife. Oh, wow. While hunting in Colorado in 1901, okay. Teddy wrote in a letter to his son, Teddy Roosevelt III, who was 14 at the time, quote, Soon we saw the lion in a treetop, with two of the dogs so high up among the branches that he was striking at them. He was more afraid of us than the dogs, and as soon as he saw us, he took a flying leap and was off. The pack was close behind. In a few hundred yards, they had him up another tree. Here I could have shot him, but waited for Stuart to get a photo, and he jumped again. This time, after a couple hundred yards, the dog caught up, and a great fight followed. They could have killed them by themselves, but he bit or clawed at four of them, and for fear he might kill one, I ran in and stabbed him behind the shoulder, thrusting the knife you loaned me right into his heart. I have always wished to kill a cougar as I did this one. <laughs> okay, does part of that sound like I caught a fish this big? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. But if anybody's going to do this, I really think it would be Teddy. I can see it, yeah. But just, I'm a hunter. Mm-hmm. I understand hunting. To me, this seems a little excessive. He's stressing out his animal that he's shooting. He's stressing out the dogs. Mm-hmm. He could have put this thing out of its misery a long time ago. Yeah. But he decided he wanted to stab it instead. Right. Right. It's just kind of... I don't like that. To me, that doesn't seem ethical. Mm-hmm. It's also on a letter he wrote to his son, who was 14. <laughs> and That's his, why I think it's him trying to be super dad, but... And that's true. Yeah. It could have been. This is in his own book. Mm-hmm. Now, Teddy Roosevelt was almost murdered. Really? I yes. did not know that. Okay. So, Teddy Roosevelt attempted to be elected to a third term. Okay, this was before term limits. Yes. And actually, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. So he decided to try running as a third term, running as a progressive. This is when he changed from a Republican to progressive. Okay, and was he, this when he created the Bull Moose Party? The Bull Moose Party, okay. yes. So that's where that famous picture of him came from, of him riding a moose. Right. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. It's fake. Yeah. It was essentially, he was riding a horse through the river. Or I'm sorry, he was riding a horse, and someone took a picture of the moose, cut him out, and pasted it on top of the moose, and then took a picture of it. That's awesome. Like So it was super early days of Photoshop. But while campaigning, he was shot by a saloon keeper in the chest. Now luckily, the bullet was slowed down by his steel eyeglass case, and a copy of the speech that he was going to say that day, that was around 50 pages thick. Oh, jeez, okay. So it was he was thick. a long-winded guy. Yeah. So Teddy knew that if he didn't act, the would-be assassin would most likely be hanged before he could be tried in court. Mm-hmm. He spoke to the crowd, letting them know that he was fine, and that he knew that the bullet didn't hit his lungs, since he wasn't coughing up blood. <laughs> he then demanded the police take charge of the shooter and make sure no harm came to him. Then he proceeded to complete his 90-minute speech, all while blood had been soaking into his shirt. So it did break skin. Oh, it broke skin. Okay. So yeah, they saw him bleeding, and that's why, like, you need to let a doctor look at you. And he's like, no, I'm not coughing up blood. I'm good. So once his speech had finished, he allowed doctors at that time to provide him with medical attention. So they, you know, packaged him up and took him down. An x-ray showed that the bullet had lodged in Roosevelt's chest muscle. Jeez. Like, that's... Like, it wasn't just, like, a surface wound. I mean, this, oh, no. this it penetrated. And it went in so far that they left it in the rest of his life because they were afraid of taking it out. Wow. It penetrated, like, through his chest muscle, but it didn't penetrate the pleura, which is, like, the sac that sits around your lungs. Okay. And they were afraid that it would be dangerous 
to go in there because they may nick the set. Gotcha. So that's why they, they just left it in there the rest of his life. Despite this, he ended up still losing the election to Woodrow Wilson. So you know what he did? What did he do? He pissed off to the Amazon, said, I'm going to become <laughs> an Amazon adventurer. Now, what was the main reason that he lost? Because wasn't it like he was president for two terms, but he didn't, he took a break in between his second term and when he ran, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. He left in 1909 and he went off and had some adventures. He's went in safari. That's when he went to Africa and, and Europe. And then he came back and became a progressive and ran on on that platform. Gotcha. So, because I remember we talked last week about how he was conservative in, to, in some areas, but also more social progressive. So he went full progressive. He went full on, yeah. Okay. He, he didn't want to take your guns away, but he wanted you to pay for everybody. Okay. More or less. Um, that's very, very general. Okay. Roosevelt envisioned this journey that was half holiday, half scientific endeavor. Being in the Amazon rainforest, right? Never been there before, and he wanted to collect all these new specimens for the Smithsonian. Upon arriving in South America, he then decided to tackle something a little bit more stimulating. He dropped his original itinerary of just collecting samples around where he landed and set his sights on traversing the River of Doubt. Okay. What is the River of Doubt? The River of Doubt was a river that had never been mapped. Okay. Right? So this one section of it nobody had ever done before. Wow. Okay. It had never been seen by a white man. Okay. So the head of the American Natural Museum tried to warn him of the risks, but Teddy Roosevelt He doesn't care. He's been shot, you know. Yeah. So and this is weeks after he got shot. He doesn't care. Really it was that quick. Oh yeah. That's man, that is that is the definition of a tough like just a tough man. First of all, he's speaking moments after he got shot. Yeah. Most of us would be at a hospital or worse. And now he's, yeah, let's go to the Amazon. Oh, let's try, you know, traverse this area that's never been. He, he was a man's man. Yeah. He really was. So, yeah, Roosevelt brushed off his concerns and he said, if it's necessary for me to leave my bones in South America, I'm quite ready to do so. So the expedition was almost failed from the start because most of the men caught tropical illnesses. Okay. They all got malaria. They all got, you know, Dengue fever, whatever it is. That's they, crazy. They all got sick. Half the pack animals that they had died from exhaustion. And when they finally reached the River of Doubt, they haven't even started mapping it. They're still just getting there. Yes, Holy cow. When they finally reached it, they had to downsize the party because they had so few supplies. So from what began with this essentially a small army of explorers and naturalists, hunters, scientists, doctors, and tribesmen, only 22 remained. Wow. Okay. So 19 of those were from South America. So out of 22, three of them were American. Okay. I was watching this thing about Secret Service. Mm-hmm. And the, what you're talking about right now would never happen today. Ever, ever. Even if you're not the president anymore, you were literally just surrounded at all times. For the rest of your life. You have the chance. You actually do have the opportunity to deny it. Oh, really? Yes, you okay. do. But... I mean, you're an idiot if you do, because you you are still going to have people attacking you and coming after you for the rest of your life. You can't do anything. Yeah, but I mean, like, Obama's gotten tons of stuff sent to him. Like, explosives, and it's just like, what a... You shouldn't attempt that even when he's in office, but what is that going to change now? 
don't try to kill people. <laughs> yeah. Lesson today. Don't try to kill people. The more you know. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, once they're out of office, what do they do? They go go and give speeches for a million dollars a pop. Right. Like, who are they hurting? But they can't even drive their own car for the rest of their life. Nah, done. Screw that. I'm out. Yeah. George Bush uh, Jr. Not Jr., but, you know, the second, whatever we want to call him. Little George. Uh, he, the only time he can drive is on his own pri- private property. Yeah, screw that. Yeah, that'd I'll be sad. suck. So that makes me wonder, do we provide them with bulletproof cars and everything? Well, like we, we do when they're president? Yes, so it's all it's all government-funded Secret Service. Wow. That is all your taxpayer money. But they did wow. serve the country in the highest. Yeah. There's a lot of people that serve their country that deserve bulletproof motorcades, but, you know, what do you do? While they were on the river, the team were under constant threat from everything from biting flies to mosquitoes carrying illness to venomous snakes to hostile native tribes. In fact, Teddy was nearly killed by a coral snake when it lunged at him and bit him. Oh, wow. Very venomous snake. Yeah. Luckily, it bit into the thick leather boot that he was wearing and wasn't able to penetrate. That's insane. But it got stuck in his boot. (laughs) You can guess what happened to the snake that bit Teddy Roosevelt, though. <laughs> yeah. It got chopped in half. Yeah. Probably sitting in the Smithsonian. I don't think it made it. Nope. <laughs> a major issue for them were rapids. The boats they had, they had to carve by hand. They didn't bring boats with them. So these... Chop down a tree and let's just carve a boat. Yep. That's what they did. Wow. Okay. So these are, you know, giant boats that are carved out of a tree, and they're getting beaten up by these rapids. Mm-hmm. So they were constantly repairing or just replacing boats as they'd go down the river because rapids. So they would constantly try to miss as many as they could. Mm -hmm. So if there was a way for them to get out of the water and walk the boat around the rapids, they did. Now think about this. The rainforest is not not sparse. No. It's very densely populated with trees. So you had to find an area that it's feasible to carry this huge boat through. And then you got to carry it over your head. Right. You know. You got to think... Plants are attracted to water, so the shoreline is probably going to be full of trees. Absolutely. And then if one of your boats breaks, it's not like, oh, hey, let's go to Walmart and get a new boat. No, you got to take a day and carve a new boat. A day is probably fast. I mean... Oh, yeah, well, there's only 22 of them, so, right. yeah. And to get it right and the right dimensions, I mean, that that's incredible. Absolutely. So most of the time, though, it wasn't feasible for them to get out of the water, mm-hmm. so they just rock it down the, the rapids and hope for the best. Did so, they say, did they ever lose anybody in the rapids? It didn't say they lost anybody in the rapids, but I would assume they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think they at least broke a boat or flipped a boat at least once. Yeah. Like, I've, have you ever been whitewater yeah, rafting? Yeah, it's fun. So I went down the San Juan River. Okay. And it was once you got on it, you were on it mm-hmm. for days. There's no way to get off unless a helicopter comes and gets you. Oh, so you went like multiple days. Yes. We wow. camped on the San Juan. That's cool. And there's... It, it's all rapids. Once you get to this one section, that's all it is, is rapids. Mm-hmm. And there's one little cutout where you can carry your boat across it if you want, and a couple people did. But it was so much work to do that, you just, nope, just Baja down them. And we flipped a few times. It just yeah. happens. You get your waterproof coolers and everything because you're going to lose something. Right. So I imagine they did also. Again, you know, blasting down these rapids, this left them having to constantly repair or build these new canoes. And they found out while they were building one, 
they have been being stalked by a band of natives. Oh, jeez. So one team member found his dog shot to death with arrows one morning. Now, nobody in this expedition was immune to any issues. Even this larger-than-life man, Teddy Roosevelt. So while trying to wrangle a canoe once that had slipped away and started going down the river, mm-hmm. Teddy went after it, sliced his leg open on a rock, and shortly thereafter fell ill with infection. Oh, jeez. Now again, remember, this is right after he was shot. Yeah. He's still trying to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Now he's in the rainforest, cutting his leg open in a river. And how did they have doctors with them? Because that feels like if you're getting an infection there, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, they had... It wasn't a doctor. It was not a doctor per se. It was someone who knew, you know, the body and medicine. Okay. But it wasn't a doctor. So kind of like a physician's assistant. Okay. Maybe, but not that So somebody that could even. mend him. Yeah, they knew what was going on. Okay. Yeah. So because of this infection, his fever spiked so hard that he began to hallucinate. He demanded to be left in the jungle to die. One of the Americans that was with him was his son, Kermit. Okay. You know, again, it ain't easy being green. <laughs> he refused to leave him like any good right. son would. Yeah, I wouldn't let my dad just die. Well, if anybody would be okay with it, though, I think Teddy would have been. Yeah, well, I think most... Okay, look at it this way. I think most fathers would say, let me let me just die here. I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to die here. Go live your life. I lived a good enough, you know, a good enough one. And I think most sons would be like, hell no, get on my back. We're, you're, you're, you're coming home. Absolutely. So, well, Teddy Roosevelt expected his son to let him go and his son wouldn't. Right. Good on him. So while still sick in the Amazon, Teddy lost about a quarter of his body weight. Oh my gosh. Right. And he had to undergo emergency surgery on his leg along the riverbank, right? Did, was he had he caught like gangrene? Or it didn't anything? say what it was from, but he had to have it done or he would have died. Right. So it probably was. Gangrene. So he was going to be septic at some point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. However, he endured it and he made it through. He was left in a canoe at one point while the others were able to go find help. They heard a nearby village. They put him in a canoe and traversed over there and they were able to find people that could come help. So after months and hundreds of miles, the team finally made it to the finish line with the help of these villagers that, that they were able to get a hold of. That's interesting. And those villages probably did not speak the language, probably didn't speak English. A lot of them probably didn't speak Spanish or Portuguese wherever they were located. So that's incredible that they were able to communicate with well, these so people. Well, so part of the, the, the crew of 22 were natives. Gotcha. So I'm sure that helped. That's the only way that they could have been able to say, hey, you know, this man's hurt. We need help. Right, right. So though still sickly, Teddy rushed to send a telegram to the Brazilian government claiming the expedition was, quote, a hard and somewhat dangerous but successful trip. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a way to put it. You know, most of us got sick. A few of us died. I almost died, but hey, it was successful. We're good. We started out with 600. Now we're at 22, but yeah, yeah, totally fine. Yeah. So the Brazilians that lived along the river then changed the name from the River of Doubt to the Roosevelt River. That's cool. I didn't realize there was a Roosevelt River in Brazil. Absolutely. So Teddy loved the Amazon adventure, but he could not deny that it had taken a toll on his health. And for the rest of his life after this, he was just plagued by chronic illness and became what he called his old Brazilian trouble. 
Gotcha. So he never fully healed. Well, you got to imagine. I mean, your body's taken such a toll. I mean, you're you've probably gone into shock. Your body's been to limits that it's never been before. You've just gotten shot. You know, sometimes your your body just can't fully recover. It's, well, yeah, and he's not the type of man that would rest to right. recover. He kept going. So, what do you expect? And he must have been on the brink of death because he literally told his son, "Leave me here." Yeah, absolutely. So, you I mean there's crazy things that people have to go through, you know, and they're not even close to death and their body still doesn't recover. Yeah. So this is the part that's hard for me because we're going to cover Teddy Roosevelt, the racist. Ah. So this is something I found real late and it was almost something I had to search for to find. Gotcha. Because when you start looking Teddy up, none of this comes to light. Right. Everything shows him as just this larger than life mountain man who was, you know, the great adventurer that loved his kids and loved animals and loved America. Right. Right? Uh, he had some issues. Okay. So for all the good that he did, he had some super racist beliefs. He had beliefs that Indians were of a lesser class than whites. Okay. Claiming in a speech in 1886. Now, this is before he was president. Okay. So things could have changed. but Sure. Uh, yeah. I don't go so far as to think that the only good Indian is the dead Indian, but I believe nine out of every ten are. So I shouldn't like to inquire too closely into the case of the tenth. Gotcha. So he said one out of every ten Native Americans are good, upstanding people that can be trusted. But Not, not even. Not even that? He said nine out of ten are bad, and the tenth one I don't want to investigate. Okay. I thought he just didn't want to investigate because he thought it might end up like the other nine. Well, well, yeah, yeah. He, because they'll be just as bad. Yeah. He also went on to say, The most vicious cowboy has more moral principle than the average Indian. Take 300 low families from New York and New Jersey. Support them for 50 years in vicious idleness, and you will have some idea of what Indians are. <laughs> Reckless, <laughs> revengeful, and fiendishly cruel. Like, uh, I don't understand how you could ever think that about a group of people, especially when the history shows that you took their land. Can you imagine, like, flip-flopped? Of course you're going to, like, if I was a Native American at that time, of course I'm going to fight the 100%. Europeans that come. Yeah. It's my land. If, if someone were to try to take your property from you right now... You'd be outside with your shotgun and with your rifles, and you'd be defending yourself. Yeah. And that's what they were doing. It's a shame I lost them all in a tragic boating accident. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, this is my land. Get off of it. Right. Unfortunately for the Indians, you know, the Europeans had superior firepower. That's all there was to it. So while claiming slavery was wrong, he also claimed that black people were not capable of taking care of themselves. Quote, I do not believe the average Negro in the United States is as yet in any way fit to take care of himself and others as the average white man. For if he were, there would be no Negro problem. And this is the worst. He even believed in eugenics. Oh, geez. And I don't go real far into this, but he wrote a ton about eugenics. Wow. He did say, society has no business to permit de Degenerates to produce. Use your imagination what he what he meant by degenerates. But he continues on and mentions just about everybody that isn't white European. 
That's crazy. And it's it's horrible that he would think that because you would have to imagine some of his some of his prejudice probably comes from the fact that yes, in that time a black man probably couldn't provide for his family the way that a white man could because of the environment that they were raised in or well, because absolutely. of the the inequalities and the lack of opportunities that they had. So it's it's awful. Did they even have the right to vote at this time? No. Because this is what eighteen eighty six. This is no. This is going into nineteen hundred. Yeah, but when did they? Women didn't have the right to vote till what nineteen twenty. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, I wasn't there, but right. Just looking this up. Yeah, go ahead. So it was the Fifteenth Amendment that granted black men the right to vote under the law. Okay, so uh, it looks like around eighteen seventy was ratified to prohibit states from denying a male citizen the right to vote based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Oh, okay, so then I was totally wrong. They did have the right to vote. So now keep in mind, this is the same man that invited Booker T. Washington into the White House to dine with him. Mm -hmm. This is the first president to ever do so. The first president to ever invite a black man into the White House to eat with him. Right. So, okay, these these quotes that you're, you're quoting right now, are they from prior to him being president? So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay, okay. Now, he was also quoted as saying, The only wise and honorable and Christian thing to do is treat each black man and each white man strictly on his merits as a man, giving him no more and no less than he shows himself worthy to have. He said that when he met with Booker, Booker okay. T. Washington in the White House. Now, when this was met with backlash... He said publicly that he would enjoy many more meals with Booker, which I think that's upstanding. Right. Now, however, he never dined with him again. He started getting backlash on it. Gotcha. And instead, the the dinners that he was going to have turned into business meetings. Gotcha. But you also have to look at, this is something that we've, see, we've seen before with Abraham Lincoln. You know, when someone said that he was in favor of, you know, black rights oh no 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 i'm not i can't remember what exactly it was but basically he's talking out of both sides of his mouth exactly now what i like to see about the you know what i like seeing in teddy roosevelt and i think we overlook this a lot as a society is a lot of these quotes that he said were before he was president but it's sounding like in by the look on your your face (laughs) uh he wasn't a changed man so again after this next one we're gonna i'm gonna talk about that just real quick okay but Roosevelt also defended Minnie Cox, who was the country's first black female postmaster. She was driven out of Mississippi because of the color of her skin. Okay. He also appointed black Americans to prominent positions, such as the nomination of Dr. William Crum as custom collector in South Carolina, which drew considerable political opposition. And this presidential response was, I cannot consent to take the position that the door of hope, the door of opportunity, is to be shut on any man, no matter how worthy, purely upon the grounds of race or color. Hmm. And that's great. You think, okay, I wish that I could say that when he was younger he had racist views, and then he saw the folly of his ways, that he was a racist, and he changed. But if you look at the timeline of these happenings... You can see that he believed what he believed, and he said something different to try and 
either gain political standing or yeah, political standing or what would help him make look what would help him to look good with current company gotcha. or to the public that he was you know quote unquote serving. But he gave racist speeches until he was president, and then he brought Brooker T into the White House. But then later on in 1914, he he wrote in his book more racist garbage. Gotcha. So he never changed his ways. He never changed the way he thought. It was kind of a safe face to exactly. an extent. Exactly. Okay. So the death of Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy was taken in the night on January 5th, 1919. He had been having breathing issues and was seen by his doctor just hours earlier. Claiming that he was feeling better, he went to bed, never to wake up. Mm. A blood clot had detached from a vein and traveled into his lungs. Teddy died at 60 years of age, but he lived a life far beyond most 60-year-olds and even people who live well into triple digits. I would have, yeah, I would have guessed he was much older from all these stories because 60, even for that day and age, I think is pretty, pretty young. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the average life expectancy was only, what, 68 or something at the time? Oh, Because that's okay. around Social Security, and the reason they put it at 67 is because everybody died at that age. <laughs> So the vice president in 1919 was Thomas Marshall, and he was quoted as saying, Death had to take Roosevelt while he was sleeping, for if he had been awake, there would have been a fight. <laughs> right. Boxing match? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Jiu-jitsu, at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, he didn't box anymore. Or he would have just stabbed him in the heart <laughs> like he was a cougar. And wrote, wrote to his son, I killed death. <laughs> <laughs> another weird thing. Do you know of another famous Roosevelt? Uh, I think there was a one by the name of FDR, Franklin. There was. Do you know how they were connected? They were cousins, right? They were fifth cousins. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought that was nuts. I didn't realize Roosevelt, Roosevelt, you know, FDR and Teddy Roosevelt. But so, yeah, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and President Teddy Roosevelt were fifth cousins. Interesting, they never held elected office at the same time. Teddy left the White House in 1909 and was never elected again, despite trying. Right. FDR did not hold political office until 1910. Oh, wow. Okay. So now Teddy ran for a third term, but lost. FDR ran for a third term and won. won. He was in four terms, correct? He's the reason that we ended up having term limits for presidents. Right, yes. I remember that. So the last thing that we're going to talk about is the world-famous teddy bear. The teddy bear. The teddy bear. I love teddy bears. In 1902, at the invitation of then-Mississippi Governor Andrew Longino... Say that again. Andrew Longino. Wow. Or you, I don't know, maybe it's Longino. Longino. It's, it's L-O-N-G-I-N-O. Hmm, okay. So, you know, if he's still alive, sorry. <laughs> so President Roosevelt went on a hunting trip with the governor, and after three days of hunting, they still had not spotted the bear. So the hunting guides that were with him tracked down this old, sick black bear, tied it to a tree, and had the president come and asked him to shoot it. Wow, okay. After looking at this tired, you know, dying, injured bear, Roosevelt thought that it would be unsportsmanlike to shoot it. Shocking, you know, but he did have some sportsmanship and decided not to kill it. So a political cartoonist named Clifford Berryman had heard about the event and decided to draw a cartoon depicting it. So the original cartoon ran in the Washington Post on November 16, 1902. So Barry Mann continued to use the bear in political cartoons during Roosevelt's presidency. With Roosevelt's permission, Morris Mictum, 
a Russian immigrant and Brooklyn candy shop owners, put in his shop window two stuffed toy bears that his wife made and called them Teddy's Bear. Okay. The rest is history. They've been popular ever since. So was there no sort of stuffed bear before then, or was it just called a stuffed bear? That's a good question. Yeah. I would assume that would have just been a stuffed bear, but okay. a teddy bear is just about anything that's a bear now, isn't right, it? Right, right. Whenever you see a stuffed bear, it's a teddy bear. Yeah. And I wonder if that's international, too. I believe it is. Is it? Okay. So, you know what's funny is Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, whatever, hated being called Teddy. Did he really? His first wife called him Teddy. Okay. And when she died, he's like, nope, no more. Which is interesting because everybody refers to him as Teddy Roosevelt. Everybody. No one calls him Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, and he hates it. Well, hated it. Right. So, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So those are the lives and times of Teddy Roosevelt. So I'll ask the, you know, ever popular question. What did you learn? I learned a lot. I, now, I already knew he was a man's man and I knew he was tough. But man, he was tough. Yeah. The epitome of what, you know, we would call a manly man in, in even today's terms. Far beyond what we would think of it in today's terms. But I, I think what is, is cool are just all of the stories that he has about being outdoors. Because I love being outdoors. I may not look like an outdoorsman, <laughs> but I like being outdoors. I like hiking. I, I want to get into hunting, those types of things. And he just seems like he would have been... An, awesome person to hang out with like spend a week out in the woods with teddy roosevelt excuse me theodore roosevelt and you would have had the time of your life you would have learned so much and or died or died yeah the other thing too is learning and we talked about this last week just learning about his views and what he stood for i think he would be a president that i would personally back in today in today's uh political world i think he would probably do great things Compared to what we have available to us in this day and age. but Up until the whole racism that I found, I would have totally agreed with you. Mm-hmm. But with views like that, I don't think you can shut it off. I think they're going to constantly be with you when you're making decisions that determine the course of our country. So I just, if I knew today about a, a presidential nominee, that he had leanings this way, that he was... That he wrote his own book and it just blatantly spells out how racist he is. Right. I would. I couldn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. Like, because even if he doesn't act like it, it's there in his mind. Right. That's me. Yeah. But you wonder if if he was raised in today's day and age, if he would have those. And that's views. true. And I guess was that the norm back then? It kind of seems like it was. He's not that far removed from the Civil War. That's true. You know, I, I don't want to give him an excuse. I don't want to give anybody an excuse ever for looking down upon someone because of the color of their skin. But unfortunately, that was the world they lived in at that time. And we can't look at it through the exact same lens that we look at it through today because they're just... It was a different society, as much as I hate saying that. So you wonder if he would have still held those views if he was around today. I'd like to hope to think that he wouldn't. He'd still be this huge man-man and a hunter, but you know maybe... Not chasing down animals and stabbing them with a knife. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be uh, hunting them in in the you know Sahara Africa or wherever he yeah. was. So, and then you talk about him being a man's man. This is a tenth of who he was. Oh yeah, he was a rough rider. He begged a president to let him go into war. He killed people in war. Yeah, like he he did a lot mm-hmm. that 
I didn't have time to cover. Yeah. This was supposed to be one part. It's turned into two, and it's it could have been three. Easily yeah. been three. I'm sure you guys are getting sick of hearing me talk about this, though. Mm-hmm. So, but there's still so much. Yeah. I mean, if you guys have time and you're interested, look him up in the Rough Riders. Look him up when he went to Cuba. Like he he did so so much. Yeah. This is definitely maybe one we revisit later on to go further in. This is I I, I really liked this one. I think we're gonna have to. Yeah. So all right. Tune in next week. We've got uh, some special stuff coming down the uh, down the pipe. Maybe not necessarily special, but I think it's something that uh, <laughs> something that people don't necessarily think about when they see this person. And trust me, the person we're going to talk about next week is somebody you've seen on billboards, on T-shirts, on posters, and probably a lot of you have no idea who he is, but what he stands for. It's a little controversial. I'm going to guess it's the Hamburglar. 100% true. Nice. Rebel, rebel, rebel. <laughs> or is it Grimace? <laughs> Grimace is... Grimace is the one that goes rebel, rebel, rebel. Is he? Grimace is the purple one, He's the right? big purple guy, yeah. The Hamburglar the is, the, is the guy with the... He's the thief. Black and white yeah. stripes, yeah. I thought he said rebel, rebel, rebel. I don't know who... I okay. thought it was the purple guy. I don't know. Again, I haven't seen a when was McDonald's commercial. <laughs> When, when was the last time they were used at McDonald's? Oh my gosh. It was when we were kids, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, we're getting old. Please, if you guys have a few minutes, go on iTunes and give us a five-star review if you like us. Mm-hmm. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> but no, please, please let us know what you think. You guys can really help us out by giving us a five-star review and saying what you like. If there's something that you think we can work on, please email us at humanizinghistory at gmail.com. Let us know what, what we got wrong. Let us know what you'd like us to fix. You know, we're constantly trying to improve on our craft. Yeah. And another thing, too, guys, is right now we're all word of mouth. So make sure if you like an episode, share it. Talk to your friends about it. We would love the support, and we would love to to meet new people and, and, you know, build this community to something, you know, beyond our, our wildest dreams. So we'd really appreciate the, the, uh, the shares. Yes. Very much appreciated. And we're in something crazy now, like 18 countries or 20 countries. Yeah. It's nuts. Worldwide. Wide, so, wide. <laughs> so yeah, thank you guys for all the support. Please tune in next week when we're going to cover the Hamburglar, I think <laughs> <laughs> probably not, but yeah, please join us next week. We're going to have some fun. Until then, remember your history, love each other, be nice. Peace out. We'll see you.